Here on the Rumble Pack Podcast, we are lovers of characters in video games. From the hero to the villain, the accomplice to the sidekick, and even the environment to the soundtrack. But there are certain machines out there in the wilderness that have brought these characters we know and love so much into existence, and without these machines, we wouldn't be here on this very podcast today to talk about them. So, starting today, we are going to spend the occasional episode deep diving into the consoles that have shaped our gaming journeys. And what better place to start than Time Magazine's Machine of the Year 1996 and IGN's 9th greatest video game console of all time, the Nintendo 64. For years, the Nintendo 64 lit up our lives with its freaky controllers, chunky cartridges, a mustachioed Italian plumber and a sword-wielding man-child, and we wouldn't have had it any other way. So come with us as we look at the history of the Nintendo 64, including its characters, the games, the memorable moments we had and our first impressions of it as kids. Blow that dust out, Jimbo. It's time to boot up. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Rumble Pack podcast where we are here to talk about the 1996 Times Magazine Machine of the Year. I'm Luke <laughs> and I'm joined by my gracious co-host as always, Will. Oh, good day. How are you? I'm well. I am well and we're here to talk about something that's uh, from what? Your first couple of years of life, surely. I reckon you were born with one of these in your hand. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, controller anyway. I don't think this uh, machine needs any more of an introduction than what you just gave it, reading out the fact that it won Times Magazine's Machine of the Year, nineteen ninety six. Like, mm. just from that, everyone should know what the hell we're talking about without even reading the title of the episode, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I always think if I thought back to that, I would think, mm, what would the the time machine have lost to? And of course, I got <laughs> Nintendo sixty four. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. We are here to talk about the Nintendo 64. My, uh, my, the love of my life, the Nintendo 64, just about. Hmm. And it's, it's a love that's only grown more and more over the years for you, isn't it? It's sort of a late yeah. blooming love, but a love that was always there, like a childhood sweetheart, which uh, yeah. you actually, which you actually do have, but this is the second. Well, the Nintendo 64 is like the parallel of that in the gaming world. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Pretty much. And does Elise, and does Elise approve of said, Childhood love? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, she doesn't. She, she doesn't uh, look look too sideways every time I buy a new cartridge. So I think mm. it's going okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Well, I think we want to start off the, from the top here with a bit of a history of the console. And as we mentioned in the introduction, this is something we intend to do. We intend to give this treatment to a few of our very most favorite uh, consoles or consoles that we've experienced throughout. But before we dive into the history of the Nintendo 64, Will's got a bit of a chinny-chin-chin. He wants to... That's the wrong expression. He wants yeah, to I mean, it. it's not... It's, not it's, <laughs> it's nothing that special. We haven't really been able to do the rum recently because we're, we're remotely <laughs> recording. It's all... All the times are uh, just up to shit. Like, we're recording morning, recording night. Who knows what we're doing with all the uh, Victoria, Australia lockdowns. But I'm here. Mm. I'm back with some cracking uh, black spice rum. Just having a swig of it. So nice. Uh, I did have a swig of it before we started, but I'm going to have another one now. But, uh, 
I just wanted to say that I'm drinking rum and I can't wait till we're back together in the same room, having new rums all the time, loving it, trying new things. So, mm. cheers to that. Cheers to that. Well, we'll uh, swallow this amount, this first sip of rum for the episode. I would like to say that I finished the Kraken I had yesterday. So, great timing there, but I've kept the bottle and let's just say that I am here in spirit by holding the Kraken bottle. Well, you did the cheers to me without a glass, uh, but I felt, I did feel a spiritual connection between us virtual cheersing through the screen it's uh mm. it's almost like your hand popped out of the monitor it was great yeah well my hand actually has a it has a very glass-like force field when hold, held like a cup so it's uh same thing mm. really yeah you're very fragile yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah. nintendo 64 let's go through a bit of history on the console before we get into any of our uh you know impressions or thoughts on it let's just give a little bit of background it was released on march 1st 1997 in australia uh and june 23rd 1996 in japan so almost a year later after japan mm. it came to australia and uh probably europe as well they used to be t- uh, paired together for basically everything pal region of course well i think it with I was very worried for a second there when you said 97 cuz i started thinking well maybe time magazine used their time machine that came second to go forward to 97 <laughs> to give Nintendo 64 the machine of the year in 96. <laughs> but then you said it came out in 96 in Japan and I didn't have to worry about that anymore. This podcast is slowly going to turn into a theory uh, podcast and probe to Time Magazine's uh, apparent time machine they're keeping in the basement. <laughs> Why else would they be called Time Magazine? <laughs> yeah, Yeah, exactly. They know what's coming. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm assuming it came out in America in 1996 as well. Uh, considering it, it, did, did, it did, it did the best numbers in America for its life as well. It would make sense that it started there early. Mm. But yeah, Australia 1997. So we were. How old were we? Three. We were three. three uh, not even three at that point. We were two and a half. Two and three quarters and two and a half, just about. Yeah. Well, we were tiny. Probably We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> We're not. Uh, so it was released during the fifth generation of video game consoles, along uh, such stellar consoles as the PlayStation One, uh, the Atari Jaguar, <laughs> and the Sega Saturn. Make a yeah, s- how do you make a sad noise. Voo. Oh, yeah, that was its That's rings. The ring. Yeah, That's hey. the rings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it used uh, cartridges <laughs> for the games instead of CD-ROMs like the PlayStation and the Saturn, which uh, dubbed, which at the time I think sort of it made the N64 fall short a little bit in the long run, I would say. Mm. But basically dubbed a Nintendo 64 game pack, this is what the name of the cartridges. Uh, it's a ROM cartridge that stores the game data uh, and they chose the cartridges as they could produce much faster loading times. So if you play okay. N64 games, loading screens are like virtually uh, inexi- uh, extinct. Non-existent. Non-existent, yeah. They're basically non-existent. Which, when I, I never really thought of that as a kid. Like you don't, 
you don't play a game and think, oh, man, there's, so, there's no loading screens when you're like six. But now that I think about it and I was just playing uh, Sim 64 before we started recording and it's actually, yeah, there was pretty much none. So, there mm-hmm. you go. Yeah, makes sense. The big, uh, I did read this about the N64 cartridge uh, online yesterday and I copied and pasted it straight onto my notes because I wouldn't be able to remember it and I couldn't be bothered summarizing it. I just wanted to read this out. Uh, the big strength of the system was the N64 cartridge. Uh, it says here, it's a quote from someone, I can't remember who. We use the cartridge almost like normal RAM and are streaming all level data, textures, animations, music, sound, and even program code while the game is running. While the final size of the all of all of the levels <laughs> and the amount of textures. Oh, man, I can't read. With the final size of the levels and the amount of textures, the RAM of the N64 never would have been remotely enough to fit any individual level. So, the cartridge technology really saved the day. Oh, Yes. So, that's how much it expanded the games because the actual power of the system is really not that good. Okay. Even though it's 64-bit, which we'll get into. Oh, that's where the 64 mm. comes in. Uh, I think you had the numbers for the, its lifetime sales. I do indeed. And so, it's quite surprising actually uh, because so worldwide it sold 32.93 million uh, units and I'm, I'm not quite sure where that sits in the old time but I think that'd be top top 10, I think. Cause, but I'm not mm. sure anyway, I won't speculate. No, I wouldn't think it'd be in the top 10. Okay. Well, incredibly though, in Japan it sold 5.54 million. In Europe and Australia combined, and I suppose the rest of Asia, it was uh, maybe 6.75 million. And somehow, America, the Americas being at uh, 20.63 million, somehow yeah, it was four times the amount of um, units sold in Japan, mm. which is crazy because i think you'd know better than me but i think like even current nintendo consoles so the switch or you know the wii and everything they they would be way ahead of anywhere else in japan surely or is that uh, not yeah. true mm. <laughs> i think at the time the playstation one was actually just huge and like sony is also a japanese company so it's yeah, not true. a surprise that the sony uh, that the playstation outdid it and I wrote to any of the PlayStation 1 sold 102.49 million lifetime units. Uh, yeah, 70 odd million more than the N64. So I would be, uh, it would be interesting to see wow. the J- Japan numbers for the PlayStation 1 because it's mm. uh, probably evident that that console just boomed there and left the 64 in the dust, really. That's pretty incredible, actually, isn't it? I've never compared the sales side by side. So, yeah. so did you say 101 million? 102.49 million, wow. which is wild because the PlayStation 2, which we'll talk about at another point, sold 155 million, which is the highest of any console ever. Mm-hmm. So, the PlayStation 1 and the PlayStation 2 combined, which are not even that different to consoles if you think about it, no, no. sold 250 million consoles units. Isn't that yeah, insane? That's, in- that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> wild. The best-selling game... On the N64 was Super Mario 64, the very first game, uh, which mm-hmm. sold 11.62 million units worldwide, uh, w- which actually also made it the highest-selling game of the whole generation. 
So no game on any other platform sold more con- uh, units than Super Mario 64. And well, I think that only a third of Nintendo 64 owners owned Mario 6- Super Mario 64. <laughs> Which is actually wild. Like It is, yeah. It's like, it's essentially like having a Nintendo Switch and not having Breath of the Wild at this point. It's like mm. the quintessential game that launched with the console that is that made the console, you know. I can't believe yep. that a third of the, uh, two-thirds of the user base never even experienced Super Mario 64. Yeah, what the hell. I feel sorry for those kids. Yeah. And even if it was an same. adult buying the console, you're a fool. Uh, <laughs> so, the name of the console uh, was, it was named after the console's ability to achieve 64-bit computing with its CPU. Um, essentially, the CPU is 64 bits wide, uh, which would would leave more room to store memory to achieve faster loading and greater room for textures and animation. Because, mm-hmm. like back in the in the nineties and the late eighties, like all the systems that come out, they were very uh, the marketing was very numbers heavy. Like the, uh, the I think in Nintendo especially were quite quite big on the. 32, 16-bit era, 32-bit era, 64-bit era, all that stuff. Um, but the code name for the system was Project Reality uh, and they started development on it in 1993. And the planned product name until up, up till about, I think it was less than a year before it actually launched, was the Ultra 64. So cool. Yeah, which ended up becoming the Nintendo 64, which... Honestly, I don't. I don't really know how I feel about the name. It's just bizarre. But to be fair, mm. what Nintendo system's name isn't bizarre? Well, yeah, they're I mean, all wacky as, as hell. As long as it's got Nintendo at the start of it, we know what it's got. Yeah, you you bang on there. The console was discontinued in two thousand two, following the launch of its successor, the GameCube. Uh, and that's that's all I've got on the history. I can't really. I don't really have any information on the way way it looks, but and I also can't describe the way it looks other than it being <laughs> a bit strange. But it's kind of uh, it's kind of comfy. It's like looking at it, it mm. just feels comfortable or something. I don't know what it is. Nice it's almost like a very smooth, very smooth. Yeah, it's smooth. It's it's like a it's almost like a, a smooth uh, contoured pillow or something. Mm. If that well, makes I think, sense. I think because it doesn't have a disc drive, it's very much a what you see is what you get. And then you pop the cartridge straight in the top, so it's no like the entire shape of it is a sh- is the shape it stays. You know, you don't have the yep. disc drive flapping open or anything like that. Yep. And I love putting the cartridge in the top. Just want to say, There's something yeah, it's so about satisfying. It. I don't know, just, cl- just clicking it in. I love that you can see the picture, the label on the front of the cartridge of what you're playing. Mm. It's just, uh, yeah, I love it. The only bummer about the cartridge, honestly, is that. Uh, the label doesn't go over the top edge, and then and they didn't do it here with the um, Super Nintendo cartridges either, which is a huge bummer. Because in America, the Super Nintendo cartridge, the front facing label carried over to the top edge. So then, if you displayed it on a shelf, it would have the names of the games, so you could display them mm-hmm. on the edge. Yep. And um, on the sixty four, for all countries, they got rid of that completely, which is why you've seen. On all of my 64 games, I bought custom labels online and I stick them on because that way you can actually display them. Because if you display them without it, it would just be a big wall, sea of grey. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, it looks way, it looks does look a lot better with your labels that you've got, except for that one that's the wrong way. 
Uh, yeah, perfect dark. I stuck it the wrong way around and it hurts. And I don't want to take it off now because I bet you it won't stick back down. <laughs> yeah, in perfect dark, if you ask me. Oh, uh, yeah. Bang on with the jokes today, you are. So, that's all the history I've got. Uh, anything you want to, is there anything you want to say about about the history of the console? Because we're going to go into our first impressions next. Yeah, no, not, nothing much on the history. Uh, obviously, that's all fact, so it's not a matter of opinion that I can give. But I do, uh, I do from the top um, respect this ga- respect this console as very much a side by side competitor to the PlayStation One that I grew up with, and as we'll probably discuss throughout, it's it's it was a really nice sweet spot in terms of console rivalry. I think mm. where it was quite friendly. Both were completely different consoles that offered totally different things, and yeah, I think through this conversation we'll sort of, uh, especially because we will naturally compare a bit to the PlayStation One. It'll yep. be, it's, know, it'll be really nice, a really nice reflection on how the two consoles, yeah, just offered something completely different that we sort of don't quite see uh, in the console wars, so-called wars that we see today. So, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, would be fun to compare them anyway because these days the the console wars hardly exist. But if they do, it's mainly between Microsoft, uh, the Xbox, and the PlayStation. Nintendo's kind of mm. on its own path completely. They do their releases at totally different times to any other competitor. They don't care about keeping up with the latest tech. They just do all their wacky in a, in a innovative stuff. It's uh yeah they're just on their own which is which is good but uh, at the mm. time Xbox as, at this point X you know the Xbox didn't exist yet no exactly so, uh, it was it was a simpler time for the better even though I spent a lot of time with Xbox it was much simpler just knowing you go to the PlayStation or you go to the Nintendo yep or both of course I do want to I didn't write this down actually but I've just remembered it probably good to mention the. And we, maybe when we do the PlayStation 1 episode, we'll talk about it more. But Nintendo and Sony actually were going to make a console together before the PlayStation 1 and the N64 ever launched. They were working together on a console and it fell through. Um, and uh, eventually Sony went and like basically said stuff, yeah, and make, we'll make our own console, which became the PlayStation 1. But before uh, Sony started with their own system, they went to Nintendo first, and they were working on a console to co-join together. Okay. So, so imagine the uh, imagine the world if that would happen. And one of the things that did spawn from that is that Square Enix, with all their Final Fantasy games, which Final Fantasy one through six, uh, were all on the all on Nintendo systems up until Final Fantasy seven. Like Final Fantasy wasn't in a, a game series you played on Nintendo. Which is like we're not big fans, but it is a huge franchise, mm. and uh, because of the I don't know the exact details, but because of the limitations of the cartridge, Square decided to ditch Nintendo for the CD-ROM of the PlayStation One for Final Fantasy VII and onward, which was a okay. huge deal in PlayStation get mad, getting so many sales and all these things. So yeah, would have been like signing Gary Ablett. Oh uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I don't know if they had have combined a console, if they had have made one together, I totally would have bought a Sendy. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what it was called, but if you look it up, if you look up just like Nintendo and Sony console, <laughs> not in not late nineties or something, you'll find it. The information I've seen, I've read about it tons. Uh, anyway, so first impressions of the console. 
would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. So, for a start, uh, and I know you'll touch on this, but there was something about those two consoles being the PlayStation Nintendo 64 that may, like, somehow their, their logos made the console even cooler. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Nintendo 64 has got that N that's, you know, as it spins around, obviously it's an oh, N on all sides. I love it's, it. It's like a an N prism, four-side yeah. prism thing. It's, it's, uh, it's so cool. I just... Uh, I don't know. I just the two of them, especially on their that loading screen, the title screen. Mm. Uh, they just, I don't know. They just give you chills, especially when you hear the loading music uh, each each time. Um, yeah. Well, the sixty four doesn't ha- really have a specific loading sound. I don't think it 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 shows mm. the six the end revolving. But the PlayStation has a really cool sa- boot up sound. Sheen. With the logo, yeah. and uh, I will always love oh. that. I love the original PlayStation mm. logo; is so good. Uh, it still it, looks yeah. the same, but with the colors. Oh yeah, it's great, and that's what I. Uh, yeah, I guess Nintendo had the the better visuals, like the spinning logo, and PlayStation had the great sound to it. Mm-hmm. But together, it, regardless, whenever whenever you turn these consoles on, it was just fantastic. So. Uh, I know we don't want to focus on PlayStation One too much because we will do an episode on that. But yep. I just I love this era for the for the what both gave us all. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, so coming from discs at home, uh, yeah, the whole cartridge thing definitely always fascinated me. Uh, and like as I've mentioned many times on this podcast, the sixty four was almost like an exotic beast to me because. I had a neighbor who owned one that I tried my best to sneak a go of, you know, just find reasons to go over to their, uh, go over to their house, even though I only went there like two or three times. That was a bit weird, but, you know, <laughs> I tried my best to get in there. Uh, uh, one lot of my cousins from Melbourne who brought theirs down once to my auntie and uncle's place, which was just around the corner. Uh, they had a they had transparent controllers as well, and I remember playing Mario Kart. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this is probably when I was three or four. And, yeah, just seeing the, these transparent controllers the absolute freak shows that these controllers are uh, just sort of blew my mind in a in a cool way. I was I was I had no idea how how or why the controllers worked, but they they did. You know they did their own thing and whatever <laughs> they're iconic now. So and uh, and also had another lot of cousins uh, who's I played once or twice at their house, uh, even though they lived eight hours away. So it was very rare. Uh, but that's sort of I guess why every now and then using a, a cartridge, having a PlayStation 1 at home with a disc was just so cool because you're talking about just dropping it in the top. You know, you've got that little, almost that little latch, uh, hatch there that you mm. push the console, the cartridge through and you, as yep. a kid, you're like, what's even in there? I don't know. I'm just putting this <laughs> yeah. thing in there and it's, <laughs> it's somehow slotting into this console. And also, even just blowing the dust out of them, same with the using the Game Boy Color, which I had, uh, which probably... Didn't have till maybe 99, 2000, I reckon, um, mm-hmm. whenever Pokemon Silver came out. And yeah, just the fact that, and it, actually, even with your Nintendo, uh, your uh, Game Boy XP, oh, sorry, Game Boy Advance that you gave me. Yeah, SP. Yep. SP, SP. Uh, remember that? That wouldn't work when you gave it to me. And then the other week, you're, you're like, <laughs> oh, blow it out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And I did it, and it worked straight away. Like, yeah. the whole thing was dead. And I was like, oh, no, I've broken you your SP somehow. And um, and they have the audacity to write on the back of the cartridges, do not blow in the cartridge. 
I know. It's the only thing that gets into work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's crazy. You try not to do it with too much spit in your mouth, that's for sure. You try uh, yeah. to dry your mouth out as much as possible. Um, but yeah, that was, I don't know, for some reason, that was just always so fascinating to me that you could just blow dust out and it makes the thing work. <laughs> it makes uh, no sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, and, and just, yeah, and finally, on that uh, controller, the yeah, I just found that the controller was the kookiest thing ever, especially considering uh, you only use the right two prongs of the thing because there's three and the left one just is left hanging the whole time. Mm. And it, it took me a fair few lessons to learn how to control it or even, you know, what I, like I said, I didn't understand how or why it actually worked, but <laughs> somehow, you know, just put your left thumb on the, the joystick and your, your other, the other thumb on the A and B and you, you can go from there. You can get most of the controls done there. Uh, and yeah, and using the central joystick was different from my experience with the PlayStation 1, which later had a, a dual, which later had dual shock, but to start with, especially when I owned the PlayStation 1, it had no joysticks. It was just a, uh, just all controls with the D pad and the triangle, circle, X and square. So, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they're my like, first impressions anyway, but. Speaking of the controller, seriously, like, what the F is this thing? <laughs> like, what, what do they do? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I really have no idea how to even describe it. Like, it's just, it's just crazy looking. Wikipedia states that it's designed with an M shape. So, I don't know if it's, like, meant to be M for Mario or, or what. Um. But Shigeru Miyamoto designed Mario 64's movement around the controller's analog stick. So I'm not really sure if the game was developed with the controller in mind or the controller was sort of developed around the game. But uh, it's it's just a it's such a silly design. It's almost like they didn't want to get rid of the crowd coming from the Super Nintendo that played with this um, D-pad. And but they also wanted to move people onto the stick, so then they didn't know where to put both. So then they're like, "Oh well, we'll just they'll just grow a third hand." <laughs> yeah, it's truly disgusting. I don't know what their intentions were or all their expectations of us, but uh, you know, I I think <laughs> I think we lived up to the expectations. Uh, yeah, I think so. It was one of the first controllers to feature an analog stick, though, uh, which has obviously become a staple of the modern controller, analog sticks. Um, you could put a, a controller pack into the back of these controllers. So they have a slot on the top back where you could like stick things in like a like a cartridge but smaller. And, and the controller packs were external memory cards similar to those seen on the PlayStation uh, except they stick into the back of the controller uh, which allows different save game data to be stored away from the cartridge which may be holding its own save data. So you can keep save data on the cartridge and then load different ones in off the controller back through the contr- back of the controller port, which is uh, strange but interesting. Makes sense, I suppose. <laughs> well, how did they get, uh, how did they make controller cords back then that could transfer memories? Yeah, I, I would not be able to tell you. The last attachment, though, that I think. Last controller attachment. Now I'm going to pick it up. It might be a bit loud. I'm, picking, I'm holding the controller right now. There's an attachment 
released alongside Star Fox 64 in April 1997 that brought haptic feedback to the N64. And it was probably one of the first uh, the first appearances of haptic feedback in a controller ever. And that is the Rumble Pack, uh, <laughs> which requires two, AAA, two AAA batteries. Uh, and yes, our show was partly named after it. It was. Hello, Rumble Pack. How are you? <laughs> I'm holding a Rumble Pack, and I'll tell you what, this thing is actually sick. It is so good because I never had one when I was a kid. I've been using it recently. I can't believe how much it adds to some of these games that I've played my whole life without vibration. It is so good. Even playing Diddy Kong Racing before <laughs> this show, just bouncing off walls while driving. The whole controller shakes like an earthquake. It's so cool. Yeah, I love it. Really well, cool. Well, I do... F- I do find it a bit disturbing that they managed to transfer memory down the controller cord but not power back up to the pack. Yeah, uh, it is disturbing. A lot of things about the controller are very disturbing, <laughs> especially in the look of it. <laughs> Should mention, uh, just for legal reasons, that the controller pack and rumble pack are spelt with a pack... P-A-K, whereas we are P-A-C-K. So, we're not affiliated at all. It's just we're inspired. We're totally different. We're our yeah. own thing. <laughs> yeah, we are. We, you probably haven't even heard of us, you know, like we're kind of cool, hip. Yeah. <laughs> You've definitely heard of us. So I didn't mean it. Oh, yeah. I received... so. Christmas Day 1998, uh, my brother and I, my brother Tom and I received our Nintendo 64 on Christmas Day, which was the first video game console that we ever owned. Just probably, yeah, just before we got Game Boys, Game Boy Colors, probably similar timeline to you with your PlayStation. Because I think potentially we got, I don't remember what time we got the Game Boys, but I had Pokemon Blue, which came out in 19... I'm not sure, 1997 or or something. Um, So, I don't know. But anyway, Christmas Day, 1998. uh, And we, the games included were Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. Um, There's there's this funny photo of us. I don't have it on me or anything. Obviously, this is a podcast. Couldn't see it anyway. (laughs) But there's a photo of us playing (laughs) Mario 64 on the day uh, and we're both loving life. It's... uh, it's one of my favorite photos of us. Uh, <laughs> I think because of that photo and just because of the, just because it was the first console and you know all the memories. I think it's the the console has stayed one of my most cherished forever. Obviously, but well, especially mm. I was just going to say, especially now that uh, Tom actually gives a damn about consoles again, you can look back on that fondly. Whereas I think previously, until the last few years. You would have looked back at that and th- thought, "What could have been?" If only Tom was into playing games, <laughs> and now he now he is. Well, we spoke about we sort of briefly spoke about that in a bonus episode we did with my brother, where I I sort of got him back in into the games uh, with the Wii U. I think it was we were talking about. I got I suckered him in mm. yeah. with the uh, worst performing Nintendo system of all time. So that's what got him back. <laughs> <laughs> the N64 was 
a fun machine, I think I would call it, especially with multiple people. <laughs> so it's got four controller ports in the front. Uh, and it was so set up, set up, so well set up for multiplayer action. Um, so I'm sure Tom and I slammed out plenty of Mario Kart uh, for months after that day. Uh, soon to be followed by what was maybe I'm pretty sure the next game we received, which was Super Smash Brothers, which uh, the original Super Smash Brothers, of course, is iconic. Uh, mm. But look, it was the beginning of the end for my brother Tom. Uh, who would be doomed <laughs> for life to lose to me at any Mario sports game. Starting with Mario Tennis, which came out on the Nintendo 64. And the same can be said for my cousin Jack. Still applies. <laughs> still, 100% still applies. Uh, I actually asked Tom yesterday <laughs> if he had anything to say about the Nintendo 64 console, if he, if he, if he wanted me to say anything about it that he said. Uh, and the one, the one thing that he brought up, was losing to me at Mario Tennis. So, uh, I think he was <laughs> extremely scarred from our childhood. <laughs> Makes sense. Yep. Yeah. I've loved it ever since I got it. We got it, rather. Hence it being uh, not only my favorite system to play just casually, like I think, uh, well, not all the time, but to come back to, uh, but it's also my favorite system just to bring out with friends. Um I've done it over the years many times. Like we did it as kids and then I think the the older I get, the more I enjoy getting it out with a group of friends and just mucking around with some of the older mm. games. I think they just carry that really good charm where you can really belt out a whole afternoon of just playing fun multiplayer games. Um, well, it gives it's you also a third my, hand to hold that left prong. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, you know, something like... <laughs> Something like Overcooked, like a new game where you can actually play on Overcooked, you can use one controller with two players to control the chef to cook and uh, the 64 controller would have been perfect for that. So, if they were just if they just thought of Overcooked 20 years ago, the 64 <laughs> stock yeah. would have went bloody bananas. Um, <laughs> the, the 64 is... It's also my favorite console to collect for, uh, which I'm still doing to this day. I'm always looking for a great deal on a, uh, you know, some particular cartridges that I don't own yet, which I've sort of got a lot of the main ones that I want, <coughs> but there is still a few out there I'm looking for. So I love collecting for it. Uh, yeah, that's my first impressions. The, my first games, of course, Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. Is there really any other way to start with the Nintendo 64 than those two games? Nope. No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't even, I don't really know how to describe Super Mario 64 without going on and on and on about it. But like, we get, we'll do an episode on it down the line. So, like, we'll, I'll keep it brief on any of the games to talk about. But mm. it's truly <laughs> one of the, one of the great games, one of the great games out there. Uh, and as a kid, I loved, I just loved exploring the castle. Like it was just mesmerizing. Like I remember being, you know, five, five, six years old and just in awe of exploring this, this whole uh, castle grounds. This thing I like the size of the castle. I loved exploring the front courtyard, even outside the castle, like with the very calming music, birds chirping, things like that. Um, 
and I love the mm. I love the paintings jumping in and out of the paintings. Like it's just it's such an inspiring game for for kids just to be um just to be mesmerized in in something for for hours on end like without even really going towards the objective. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And I yeah, and I'll I'll describe my probably feelings in that sort of way as well about uh, Mario 64 when we discuss our favorite games later. But I I totally agree. It was just a uh, even just that that, oh, wait, that starting point when you're out in the out in the the paddocks out in the field outside the castle and just looking at it and you have to sprint over to the castle. It's just always awesome. Yeah, it is. It's the one game. Uh, it's probably it's not my favorite game of all time, but it's it would be the one game in my life where I can turn it on at any point and feel like I've I've actually come home. I think it's mm. it's like it's actually like my safe haven or something. Mm. I don't know what the right words are, but it's I think just just turning the game on and just hearing the hearing the menu music before even loading in. Um, and then seeing Mario spawn into the yeah spawn into the courtyard out of the pipe and hearing the birds chirping it's it's actually it, every single time I turn it on it is magic something about it and I think it's because it's it was the first game it'll always it always stick with me hmm it's your happy place yeah truly it truly is uh, and yeah the other the other first game that I got with we got with system Mario Kart sixty four is uh, Probably the most obvious game for anyone to own with the N64, Mario, Mario Kart 64. It was probably... Uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised Mario Kart 64 wasn't the most highest selling game over Super Mario. Considering the how popular four-player split-screen gaming was on the system, you would assume Mario Kart would have been the, the best selling. I'm sure it's probably the second best. Uh, yes. I would assume. Yeah. It's a classic party game that uh, still holds, holds up to this day. It does feel sentimental for me to play, like if I turn it on, but I don't think it holds up that well now considering the some of the new Mario Kart games like Mario Kart 8 are so technically good. I think because I've played a lot of the latest Mario Kart, going back to it feels very rigid. It's not bad or anything. Like you can still have tons of fun, but... It's uh, it feels a bit it feels a bit slow and uh, laggy. Mm, I think the uh, I think the Mario Kart games, and this is maybe getting a little bit off topic, but the Mario Kart games are the probably the series that ages the worst in the lot because I, I even think of going back to the Super Nintendo version of Mario Kart, the the original, and even that compared to the sixty four is just really awfully yeah. You know, yeah, awful animation by comparison. It's mm-hmm. it's quite hard to get back into. Yep. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's funny Mario Kart games, like some of them I could pick up and just play any time and I'd have fun and then there's a few where, yeah, just even thinking about playing it, I, I don't know, I just wouldn't. Like Mario Kart Wii is one where I just wouldn't go back to but then Mario Kart Double Dash for the GameCube, I would happily play that with, with friends. So, I don't know. They're all a little bit different, mm. all a little bit quirky. Even some some hold up, some don't, and it's up to the individual person whether they like it or not. I suppose, but yeah. The only other thing I wanted to say about Mario Kart 64 is that 
the red shells uh, in that game just never work. It's crap. They just never <laughs> work. Like they actually, everyone everyone rem- remembers red shells from Mario Kart. But in Mario Kart 64, which is the most iconic Mario Kart, they always just like, you shoot it out forward and because there'd be like a wall there, they just ding straight off the wall to the left or right of you and it's the no effect. Mm-hmm. They never work. <laughs> and I feel like no one ever talks about it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you bring that up because I think I had a lot of trouble with those things and I thought it was always me. No, it's not you. It is genuinely <laughs> just programmed wrong, I think, and they just left it in. <laughs> they do work yeah, if you have like a straight shot at the player ahead, of course. But a lot of times in Mario Kart, you're you know, going around tight corners with big walls and things like that and uh, you... Yeah, the red shells just they, they they genuinely just go like two minutes forward, diagonal straight into a wall, and they just go <laughs> ding, 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 and that's it. So, okay, about as Don't well as anyone's it. trek along the Rainbow Road, I reckon. It's symbolic. <laughs> yeah, Rainbow Road is is symbolic of that game. Absolutely. <laughs> so my first games, and interestingly enough, Tailspin and Batman Returns were the two games I thought were on Nintendo sixty four. Uh, okay. that I thought I'd played the first games I played borrowing I think a console from my cousins until researching for this episode revealed that they were actually Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo games uh, so <laughs> <laughs> and neither were on the opposite console so somehow I managed to play two games that mm. were on different consoles on the one console I don't know I'm very confused and I'm <laughs> I'm stay tuned for that investigation so because you played on a Sega Genesis, perhaps. It's yeah. Spec, uh, potentially. Potentially, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. But Tailspin was a trippy ass game, and I played Batman a lot. My sister played Tailspin. It was just like for some reason these two games that a family friend gave us. I, I've I have no idea. I just know the TV I was playing it on, where it was in the lounge room, and that's all I remember. Okay. So bizarre, I know. But anyway, this is just me. Trying to understand, trying to trace back my N64. Mate, your whole life is a lie. <laughs> it is. I'm so confused. <laughs> I do know that my sister pulled that TV down accidentally on top of herself once. Okay. And uh, explains a lot. She didn't uh, get like, she didn't end up inside the game like Jumanji? <laughs> I think so. Given I, given I rarely got to play Nintendo 64 though, all of my uh, first games were played in the same sessions or you know it might be uh, four or five at a time depending on how quickly I wanted to try to you know play all these games at once uh, just to get as much variety as possible uh, but so my my first uh, Nintendo 64 games uh, were the big guns and we're talking Nintendo, uh, Super Mario 64 as we discussed uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time of course uh, GoldenEye is one that we haven't mentioned yet and that mm-hmm. is now that I think of it and remembered it being such an iconic game, is potentially my favourite uh, at the time. Okay. Uh, but, you know, on reflection, who knows? Who knows? Uh, but <laughs> uh, Pokemon Stadium, Mario Kart, a bit of Mario Party, of course, and uh, uh, Diddy Kong Racing was one that I think one, maybe it was that neighbour that had it. I always tried to get onto that because they had flying carts and things that just fascinated me. Yeah. And perhaps... Donkey Kong Country as well. I did play that once or twice. Uh, Donkey Kong Country? Uh, not that one. The other one. 64? Yeah, Donkey Kong 64 then. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, country's the, the country's for the Super Nintendo. The the hell, hell in a hell in a cartridge. I think you would agree. Are you talking about? Country. <laughs> you talking about country? Yeah. As in, because it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't a fun time. Uh, but anyway, but anyway, Donkey Kong sixty four was only once or twice. But uh, and same with Super Smash Brothers, uh, which is, uh, which is, uh, I wish a game I'd wish I'd had the opportunity to play more because that's one that was one that I always tried to seek out in my friends' collections, and I think only maybe one had them had it, and uh, that always interested me, especially seeing as I'll discuss a bit later, but seeing Pikachu fight these other. Characters just mm. so cool, but anyway, that's that's my they were my first games, and they'll probably reappear when we discuss my favorite games. Yeah, hey, we can always play uh, the original Smash ever at my joint. Happy to get it out. Oh, get it out. Let's <laughs> smash at your house. <laughs> yep, no problemo. Right, well, let's hit an ad break, uh, and when we come back here, yeah, we'll get into our favorite games and a few of the other iconic ones. Yeah, and this is a special ad and a special offer from the Rumble Pack podcast from us to you, the listener. Beautiful. See you soon. Hi, guys. It's your pal Luke here. And today, we wanted to offer you this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to learn how to hold the Trident of Japan, also known as the Nintendo 64 controller. Now, we are stoked to be joined today by Wilbo Waggins, our resident Nintendo expert. So, please, Wilbo, explain what we're dealing with here. Okay, class. What we're dealing with here is one of the great curiosities in gaming history. Pick up your Nintendo 64 controller. Uh, which prong are we holding? Uh, the middle one. Why the middle one? Just bloody grab it, Luke. Okay, got it. Like this? No, with your left hand. Now, using your right hand, grab the right prong. What about the left prong? It doesn't matter. Then, place your right thumb on the A and B buttons. Within reach of the C buttons, your right index on the back R button, left index on the Z button, left thumb on the joystick. Ah, but Wilbo, that leaves the entire left side of the controller unmanned. What about the directional pad and the L button at the top? Forget about what you thought you knew about controllers, what you thought you knew about gaming, and what you wish to believe is right and wrong in the world. What we're dealing with here is a freak show of the highest order, a menace of the senses, a tragedy in ergonomics. This is no game, my son. This is chaos, a creation without order, without common sense. This is insanity! Uh, Mr. Waggins, uh... You're all right there, mate. Class dismissed. This wonderful tutorial proudly brought to you by the Rumble Pack Productions. No Nintendo 64 controllers were harmed in the recording of this advertisement. Nintendo, why you do this? Alrighty, so we've gone through our first games that we ever played on the Nintendo 64 in our separate journeys that we've been through. Uh, but Will, can you please take it away with your favourite games? All up. Happily, and I think... Super Mario 64 uh, is obvious, so I don't think we need to talk about that anymore. I think Super Mario 64 is my second favorite game on the N64. 
mm-hmm. followed by fo- closely following what I'm I'm just going to say now is my f- favorite N64 game uh, ever, which and I have the Japanese uh, box boxed version here uh, in really good nick, and that is Banjo Kazooie. Ah, uh, oh. yes. You know, I bought this. In, I actually I bought this totally in. Uh, where did I buy it? Osaka, I think. I found a game store in Osaka that sold all this great stuff and I re- I wanted to spend so much money and I restricted myself and just bought one thing <laughs> and that is Banjo-Kazooie box version. I've never seen that before. You've never showed me that. Are you sure? I feel like I have. Maybe I haven't but it's been on the shelf here for... Uh, since I went to Japan in 2018, so I've had it for a while. When you're up next, I'll show you because it's got um, it's like complete in box as well. So it's got all these like really good um poster poster bits or like um, uh, I don't know what you'd call like uh infographic sort of things to other games and whatever in there, and it's okay. got the instruction yeah. book and that's uh yeah, it's it's fu- it's a fun read. It's it's good. It's all in Japanese, but yeah. So if you know how to read Japanese, it's a fun read. Oh uh, well, the other best thing about this era. Was the old the older instruction manual, the booklet that came with the games? Obviously, they lasted about yeah. another ten to fifteen years after that. But oh boy, do I miss them! <laughs> I know how good are they? Actually, often when I'm often when I'm looking for N64 games online, so like Facebook Marketplace or something, a lot of times you'll see guys selling um, selling a selling a cartridge. Say, say they're selling the cartridge for Banjo, they might have the cartridge on there with the instruction manual for like 30 bucks more. Mm. And I always want to dip and just be like, yeah, I'd love to have the instruction manuals, but where am I going to put a bunch of just instruction manuals without the box? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I never yeah, go for, sure. for it. But uh, uh, I always want to. <laughs> mm. But uh, look, Banjo-Kazooie, it's a super similar game to Super Mario 64. A collectathon if you will uh a collectathon being uh, i suppose y- you collect items throughout levels to progress in the game so in, in mario 64 you you collect uh co- coins through levels that can earn you stars and you collect stars from the levels that unlock more areas for uh to, for more paintings to jump through or whatever and then in banjo you collect musical notes uh and j- and jiggies, which are jigsaw pieces, uh, all throughout each <laughs> massive level to open more doors and uh, levels and stuff as you progress through through that game. They're really similar to each other, but I think it, I I would argue that Banjo has a bit more charm than Mario sixty four, uh, and it's got a lot more ambitious level design as well, uh, and and characters and and move set as well. I think Banjo's Banjo's moveset is just, I find it really fun. Even though Mario is very flippy uh, and like he's very light to move, wall jumping and stuff, which we both would, we like flips. Uh, yes, we do. <laughs> I, think, I think Banjo's moveset overall just, it's a bit more polished or something. So, I really like, I really like the way the game feels to play. More comedic um, as well. Yeah, it is. It is a lot more comedic. I mean, the fact that it has not that it's full voice acting because it's just noises uh, for all the characters, but the fact that it has uh-huh. any voice acting like that gives it a, a more comedic feeling just from the get go. Because Mario sixty four is quite uh, quiet, I, I guess you could say. 
from the characters. Mm. So it's got an insanely good musical score, uh, Benjo Kazooie, from the composer Grant Kirkhope, who did uh who's done ton of the rare rareware games and Donkey Kong games and, and whatnot. Um it is it's an yeah. It's one of my favorites. It's another game that's we would have gotten early on, uh, my brother and I, because I think my banjo cartridge is the label on it. It's a bit worn uh, compared to some of my other ones, so it's probably quite old and quite used as well. Uh, and it definitely left a huge impression on me, uh, which is why it's one of my favorite games ever. I really wish I could play it on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, you've been waiting a very long time for that. Very patiently, Will. I think you deserve it now. Well, when they brought Banjo to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, I assumed that was the perfect gateway for uh, Microsoft, who now own the IP for Banjo, to put those games on the Switch. I was like, you've got your in now, you know. Mm. Um, and no, they didn't do it, which is a bummer. Like Because they, they, other Microsoft games went on there, like Ori and... Uh, and the and cuphead and things like that. So I, I assumed it was coming, but never did. But never say never. No, well, <laughs> it's a. I think they could have followed the the crash way, crash bandicoot way back in, where they sort of just start introducing him slowly. I think he might have been in the PlayStation Battle Royale All Stars, whatever it was called. Uh, I can't remember, mm. but I think he was in that PlayStation All Stars. I think's the name. Yeah, and then they brought back the twin, you know, the insane trilogy. Uh, remasters and then Crash Team Racing and then they finally brought back a new game. So it would be great if they could follow the same route for Banjo Kazooie. Yeah, I'd I'd love that. I think a lot of people are calling out for that anyway. So hopefully they hear mm. the call. Did you ever play Banjo when you were younger? No, that was one of the ones I saw only a couple of times, and it sort of looked like a. It's it's very much a. It's it's like a strange sort of hybrid of Zelda and Mario, I think. It's sort of I don't I don't know the world that to picture the world is looks a bit like uh Zelda, but it's a bit mm. more goofy like Mario. I don't know, that's just my that's just the memory coming back from me being five, so <laughs> Yeah. I just think it's everything Mario sixty four is but expanded. That's just the way I feel about it. It's just everything is a bigger scope. So I'm a I'm a big, big fan. I'm sure many people out there would disagree with me on which which one of those two games is better, but uh for me it's banjo. Another Maybe stranded out in the Sea of Thieves. You know, when I was playing that the other day with our friend Daniel, I did mention to him why haven't Rare made some of the songs you can play with some of the instruments in that game, some of the tunes from Banjo. Mm. Like, wouldn't that be perfect? It would, on the banjo. Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, <laughs> so, two of my favorite games from the system, uh, and we we did recently talk about The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time uh, in episode nine of the show. So, if you want to hear us in depth, go check that out. And I, as I said then, I only played that to the finish for the first time uh, this year on the Nintendo 3DS version. But the game left a huge mark on me uh, from its opening title screen from when I was younger. So, my brother and I uh, would borrow this game many times over and over when we were younger from a shop called Mr. Magic, which was a, a video game rental store in 
Geelong in Victoria, Australia. Uh, at least I borrowed it. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure if Tom was involved, but I definitely remember renting it many times and I basically never, never ever reached further than Hyrule Field or past K- uh, Kokori Village because I just, I was just too young. I, I literally just didn't understand. But the opening title screen always stayed with me for for my whole life until now. I still think about it sometimes. So that game mm. is cemented in royalty for me. And I have the gold cartridge, which I absolutely love. It's the best cartridge ever. Mm, it except is. it's Ooh. not because the best <laughs> cartridge ever is this one. The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask, gold cartridge. Yes, it but is. the it's just got a way cooler picture on the front of Link looking badass with the with Majora's Mask behind the Zelda logo. And uh, there's something about Majora's Mask that's so unique and different to to Ocarina of Time that I just really like. Um, uh, you know, as to which Zelda game's better overall, not put no point going into it right now. But both games are. Some of my favorites from the N64, which have probably come to become my favorites later in life. Yeah, so Ocarina of Time is obviously uh, one of my favorites as well. And I say obviously because if it isn't in anybody's favorites, uh, they must clearly just be in those two-thirds of Nintendo 64 owners that never owned the game. <laughs> Otherwise, why the hell wouldn't it be in your favorite games? Uh, as, uh, as, yeah, as previously discussed, the... It's, uh, I think in yeah, episode nine, I mentioned this, that the magic and fantasy of this game uh, from the, um, the Master Sword, the patterns on the shield, which are obviously on the bit of the branding as well. It's sort of an iconic pattern. Uh, using the Ocarina of Time um, to time travel, which I never understood and always just asked my mate whose console it was to uh, actually do it for me because I just had no idea how he knew all these certain patterns and tunes off by heart using this... Uh, <laughs> The D, not the D-pad, what's it called? The, the C buttons. The yellow buttons. The C buttons, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, most importantly, uh, transitioning into Adult Link from Child Link and back again was just so uh, fascinating for me. Mm. And it was just so much deeper than anything I was playing on the PS1. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to, and on that as well, like uh, Majora's Mask might not be a favorite because I actually only really played that on an emulator on my MacBook Pro about uh, six or seven years ago, like mm-hmm. in my uni years. Yeah. I just randomly played through maybe uh, a quarter of it before I just forgot about it, even though I loved it. And uh, it was just that, yeah, the shape shifting with the mask was so cool. E- even um, And even seeing, and I'm, I'm glad you got the cartridge there, seeing the big gold box when that came on sale at shops, I remember going into Target and all these sorts of places which is before EB Games was even a thing. Mm-hmm. Specialty video game stores really weren't that widespread. Yeah. And just going in and seeing this massive gold box, which I'm not sure if it was just the game or maybe a special uh, edition of the console, but just that that mask itself on there. It's almost like a – it's very similar to the pattern on his shield in a way. Like it's sort of a – I don't know. There's just something about it that just – it's just always so fresh and mm. awesome to look at. It's just a sick design. Yeah, it is. The the Hylian Shield is one of the uh, most pleasant designs out there, I think, where it's just hmm. uh, similar, similarly to a lot of things on the N64, including the design of the console. It just feels it feels comfy. I think hmm. that's the right word. Like it's just it just feels sort of nice or something. Yeah, you look at it's it. It's so solid. 
it's just so solid. Mm. Just looks un- unbreakable. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think it's it's placed right behind the right behind the words. Is uh, it mm. just looks great behind does, the Legends yeah. Zelda uh, logo. So it's yeah, you just look at that and you're like, yep, I'm ready for adventure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, well, the other, uh, the uh, I, I should have I should have chimed in earlier when we were talking about the um, about Mario sixty Super Mario sixty four and our favourites because I did want to focus on the uh, a couple of little things in the game that my child brain was very caught up in mm. and what made it so iconic for me it was just even just the little things like in the main menu when you use the his glove as the cursor to select the menu items, I believe. Yeah. Is that correct? And and Mario's floating head behind it. That sort of follow I think it follows the glove with his gaze or something. Or you can and you can grab his nose and uh yeah, before you click through to the menu items, you can just play with Mario's three D face, basically. Mm. Yeah, it's like that's its own one. little mini game. You just pull his face all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't. Uh, I was remembering correctly because I was as I was saying that I'm like, oh, I bet you that's just some sort of twisted memory <laughs> I've got from when I was a kid. Uh, and uh, I I love uh, the I love the main menu of Super Mario 64. Uh, I know it's just a menu, but there's something about it that's so pleasant to me because the the music is really nice, and behind all of the uh, menu boxes, when you touch, when you like click on them, it's like a rippling water effect behind it, mm. and it's uh, mm. yeah, it just it's very it's a very pleasant menu. I really like it. Yeah. Well, I think I think the fact that it's Mario's head that's there at the start, you're using his glove, and that it's a me Mario uh, plays and with the da 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 or whatever it is when you open. It just feels like you're already there and like he's actually, the game is all about him. It's not as if, oh, I'm in this menu and there's no character to it. You're literally up with his character from the very moment you open the game. Yep. Which I think just has a, it just has a, it just gets that bit of extra connection, I think, to the character, which I probably, yeah, it's just interesting to reflect on because mm. it's just, I don't think it's, I think it's still unique. Uh, even today, I don't think anything's really tried to copy that sort of fun interactive you know, it's a menu. Yeah, it would probably make a much bigger impact on the way you feel about the game going forward than you would even uh, think. Just uh, mm. seeing Mara's head straight away. Yeah, it's a it's mm. a good point. That any yeah. other favourites of yours? Well, Goldeneye, Goldeneye, as I mentioned earlier, and I just wanted to touch on that quickly because it was, I think, the my the the appeal to me as a kid, and especially you know when you're you, you see the action games and you're like, oh, that's an adult game. I want to have a play of that because that's what the big kids mm-hmm. would play and all that sort of thing. It was just the action, the the, the guns, to be honest, uh, the and the fact that it was like straight out of a James Bond movie. And even at, even at the end of the opening mission where he dies, dives off the top of the dam, it was just so it was just so epic. And you're just <laughs> like, oh, I am James Bond. And, uh, and everyone's seen Jaws, who's the villain in Moonraker and... The Spy Who Loved Me, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just, uh, I don't know, just so cool just to see these uh, movies brought to life because I was a big uh, Bond fan as a kid. So, uh, yeah. I, was just, I was just all over it. Uh, and well, it's, yeah. It's, I, fun, it's funny to just hear you talk about, you know, liking Goldeneye because you're a Bond fan. But I think the 
the widespread appeal of GoldenEye on the N64 is much bigger than just being a fan of the mm. films because it, you know, Mario Kart 64 would have been the most successful multiplayer game on the system, but GoldenEye would have been right behind it because it actually was super influential for f- first-person shooters going forward. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and four, you know, four-player split-screen multiplayer and, and all things like that. So, it's a huge... Uh, historic game actually mm. and that was a that was a really fun multiplayer too I actually played I think uh, on PlayStation 2 James Bond Nightfire which is far lesser known but it was the same sort of concept where you could play it split screen and to be honest I, I don't really know if there's any other first person shooters out there that actually could even come close to these James Bond games in split mm. screen multiplayer sense, it was just just something really cool about them—the whole spy espionage, yeah, uh, aspect. Well, there is one game that can come close to to the to GoldenEye that came out about three or two years later. Uh, made You're by about Upside Sticker, Upside Down Sticker game. Upside Down Sticker. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> Please explain. Well, I was thinking maybe you were referring to. Perfect Dark, the one to the sticker, oh, the yeah. botched sticker. I, I absolutely am referring to Perfect Dark, yes. <laughs> 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 Thank you for explaining. So, Perfect Dark, uh, uh, made by Rareware as well as GoldenEye, uh, yeah, came out about three years later and it's pretty much its spiritual successor but without the James Bond license uh, where he mm. plays the main character, Joanna Dark. Um, and, yeah, the, Tom and I had that game. Uh, and we used to play it tons, uh, just one-on-one split screen, two-player split screen. And, yeah, it was really fun. Like that, I think th- our love of Perfect Dark and the first-person shooter genre kind of probably led us into Halo, which we got, you know, down the uh, years down the line from this. Uh, but we sort of jumped to Xbox after the 64. So, we, Halo was part of our lives from there. So, I think our exposure to Perfect Dark would have been part of the reason why we ended up loving Halo so much. And, yeah, I never played. Uh, I think I've played GoldenEye once in my life. Fun fact. It's probably embarrassing fact too, but I've only yeah, ever played it maybe once in my life. And, yeah, yeah, it's good. But it just felt like Perfect Dark to me and maybe even lesser Perfect Dark, which is probably a burn. Sounds like a burn to a lot of people, but <laughs> Perfect Dark mm. is realistically the more technically... Uh, technologically advanced version of GoldenEye. So, yeah, what that makes can sense. I if say? You, if you start later at a better at a better version of something, you just carry on from there. Yeah, it's like how I had Pokemon Crystal, and all these schmucks had Pokemon Gold and Silver. You know, what do you want me to say? <laughs> uh, you can just you can just leave if you want. Yeah. So some of my other favorite games uh, on the system, I'll run through them. I won't spend too much time on them, but. One of them is Star Fox 64, which is a awesome, fun uh, f- sort of fighter plane game. I don't know what you'd call like a jet shooting game. I suppose you're like, it's like an on-rail shooter, but you're in a jet. <laughs> it's probably the worst ex- explanation of Star Fox has ever been. But That's right. I'll, le- I'll leave it. With- I'll leave the- that explanation. Let it hang there for a while. <laughs> but it has... Amazing controls with the analog stick. I think any game on the, if any game on the N64 was a good example of why it had an analog stick on the controller, it's Star Fox 64 because the movement 
of Fox's ship is just perfect. It's it's actually perfect. And somehow they've mm-hmm. never made a Star Fox game this good since. Uh or at all really. I think they've made like two Star Fox games since the sixty four one and they were both bogus. Uh are we talking inverted controls here or default? Uh geez, I don't know. I'd have to open I'd have to put the game in and actually check. I don't think they're inverted. I don't think I so. Because I was always in I was always an inverted. Yeah, uh, you would be. You vehicle. would be. Well, if you pull down, it makes you go up. It's natural. Uh, it's it's what real pilots do. Yeah, mate. but it's called inverted. It, default is default for a reason, mate. Inverted <laughs> is for the freaks. Okay. Default means the fault. So the fault is yours. It's like people that play first person shooters with inverted controls, like aiming. People do that. That's totally different. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> I use default controls always because I'm a basic yeah. bitch, clearly. But with Star yeah, Fox 64, I'm pretty sure the <laughs> controls are default. But if they're inverted, I, I, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Uh, yeah, and Star Fox 64, believe it or not, like everything in the world, is better with a bit of the rumble pack. The rumble pack with hmm. Star Fox 64 is so good. Like, obviously, the, it, it was bundled with the game, so it launched with it. So, it makes sense. But I only recently... Tried it with the Rumble Packs. I never had one. And it is insanely good. You're like, because you can press B to shoot bombs out of the um, out of the spaceship, like that are a lot more powerful than just your normal uh, laser or whatever. And mm. man, when the bombs explode, it sends a massive feedback through the controller. Like, you know, you know, you see a clip of a bomb dropping uh, and you see like the the uh, sort of dome of explosion coming from it around it, if that makes Shock sense. Shockwave. Yeah, it's like that in the game. It goes like it'll hit a robot and go boo out and you can feel that in the controller. It gets closer and closer. It goes Brrr. so cool. That's so I can't cool. believe well, I never had that when I was younger. Yeah. It's not like uh, what's Attack of the Clones. Uh, what's it, What's that explosion? Oh, that mine, the detonates. Oh, yes. They're so good. I can't remember what it's called though and we're not going to sit here and try to think of it. <laughs> Yeah, damn it. A seismic charge is what it's called. Seismic charge, seismic yes, charge. yes. Seismic charge is ahead. Uh, <laughs> one of my other favorite games, there's a few. Well, one of my other, there's a few. But Mario Party 2 uh, is one of my favorite N64 games. It is, it's probably my favorite party game ever. Like if I had to just pick a party game to play with four people out of, the, out of a hat or like off the top of my head. Um, and I and I had it with me. I would I would pick that every time because it's just it's just such chaotic fun, you know. Like you can be as casual or as serious as you want. Mm, yeah, and no, I agree. Is I, I think the is that the only one that came out on Nintendo sixty four? The only no Mario Party? Party one, two, and three. And three. Okay. Yeah. Well, I definitely played two or three, and I remember them being significantly better than recent versions. For one reason or another, yeah, I'm not sure. sure but, Absolutely. But I love those old ones, yeah. Mm. Well, Mario Party 2, in fact, I like the best because in that one, the characters all get special outfits depending on which board you're on. So there's a Western board where they all dress up as cowboys or cowgirls and there's Pirate <laughs> Land level where they're all dressed up as pirates and there's a Space oh. Land level where they're all in astronaut suits. It's just it's fun, you know? And there's even a little uh, funny sort of cutscene movie when they announce the winner of the game. 
it's on theme to the the board you're on. So like on the on the western level, it'll be like a situation where uh, like a Cooper's tied up on the railroad and Bowser's got him tied up and he's going to send the train down or something and then the, the eventual winner of the board game comes through and saves him like a like a climax of a film. It's so funny. <laughs> okay. With the old models, it just looks ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mario Party imagine. 2 is uh, so fun. But Mario Party on the 64 in general, I think as a whole, is just just awesome. Get together with friends and, and have a lot of fun. Um mm. F-Zero is another one that I really like, but that's recently. I'd never played that when I was younger and I picked up a copy of it. I don't know if it was this year or last year, but it is easily the coolest racing game on the N64 in my opinion. The sense of speed that it gives off is so good. It's like hyper. I can't believe how oh, cool. fast the game is. Like I've been saying to you this to you for a while that we should have a game of it when you're over, and when eventually when you can come mm. over, we will. Um, it's <laughs> it feels that actually feel that's put into perspective how long this lockdown's gone for. How many times I brought up F Zero? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was three years worth, but it's only been well, it's been like two months now. Yeah, yeah, and of course to make it all better, the awesome uh, functionality it has with the Rumble Pack, so good because you do a lot of you do a lot of bumping with the cars in this game and when you bump with the Rome pack in, it's really good feedback. So good. Look, if, if there's if there's something to take from this episode, it's that everything in life is made better with the Rumble Pack. Yeah, I am absolutely with you on that. Tom and I recently played uh, F-Zero when he was down in Vic last, uh, which was, I don't know, who knows how long, six months. Uh, mm. And neither of us could. We could hardly finish a race. We were absolutely useless. Because uh, if you take too much damage or fall off of the track, you're out of the race. Done. Like there's no borders on the edge of the track and you go so far. So, if you if you just speed off or, or slide off the track, race over. It's very yeah. unforgiving and we were terrible. We basically, we played a bunch of races. I think I didn't get to the finish line once and Tom got maybe one time or something. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, it's like a, it's like a serial... Rainbow Road situation. Oh, yeah. Way harder than Rainbow Road ever, ever has been. Oh. Yeah. A couple more and then I'll stop going on about my favorites. Uh, Pokemon Stadium 2 is uh, one of my favorite N64 games and Pokemon Stadium 2 is definitely uh, the one I like better because it's got the two best generations of Pokemon in it. The Pokemon Stadium 1 has only got Gen 1. But mm. everyone will eventually find out that we're Gen 2 boys for life. We are. And uh, mm-hmm. Pokemon Stadium 2 brings all the Gen 2 Pokemon in and makes it 10 times better. Uh, it is fun as hell, that game. And it has a bunch of awesome mini games that you can compete in with friends. Uh, uh, sort of Mario Party-esque style, like with the mini games, but it's not a board game. It's literally just mini games for like tokens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we used to play that tons when we were when we were kids, which I'll get into uh, after this when we go into some of our memories. But uh, I, when I was reaching out to Tom yesterday, he also said this to me uh, in his N64 comments and it referenced Pokemon Stadium 2. He says, Pokemon still hasn't figured out how to make battling on the big TV better than Pokemon Stadium. And it hasn't even yeah. come hmm. close really, is what he said. It hasn't, and it's it's really strange that isn't it? Because now that they've they're almost bringing the the main Pokemon games onto the Switch, obviously, which then you can 
play on their screen on the big screen but they even just from seeing them and you you play them and own them but just from seeing them they they look like a handheld game put to the screen mm-hmm. it doesn't look like something they've made to be cinematic and just large scale and huge it, it's yeah it's always almost bothered me how i guess how the formula for pokemon stadium is just completely forgotten and left behind yep because that's a that's a game that when you as a kid when you played that it was just like it was like pure gold and you just you could you just wanted to battle with every pokemon you wanted to take down a charizard you wanted to hydro pump as a blastoise you wanted to do all these things and it it just it seemed like a real like just epic treat when you ever you got to play it yeah and agree for one reason or another it's just they just let it go completely because imagine how cool that would have been even if when the Wii came out if that was a game that you could play with your Joy-Con somehow I don't know how oh, not Joy-Cons uh, but yeah your Wii mode mm. I think Wii there remote. is actually one on the Wii in a similar vein uh, they did make a, one on the GameCube called Pokemon Coliseum and there might have been one on the Wii that I'm uh, not remembering, but it didn't go further than that. So it's a, it's a shame yeah, okay. because if they kept the series going through the Switch, it's something that uh, we would all be down to play online and mm. things like that. Just just literally focusing on uh, big staged battles rather than the whole Pokemon oh, adventure yeah. would be so fun. Um, and and I was just going to say, and our favorite, uh, our probably highest mutual favorite Pokemon, Blastoise. Is made for that stadium. Oh yeah, absolutely. Surf on Pokemon Stadium is an absolute treat. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, <laughs> floods the whole world. Yeah, yeah. Pokemon Stadium Two. It's got so much. Well, and one. They got so much going for them. They've got the mini games. They've got battling with your friends. They've got the story mode, which is like a sort of gym leader tower sort of thing. They've got functionality with the Game Boy where you can play uh, Pokemon Red or Blue or Pokemon Gold and Silver on the big screen through your Pokemon Stadium game and <laughs> not uh, not to be forgotten, the terrible, absolutely terrible yet adorable Pokemon 3D models. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're, we're speaking uh, Simpsons hit and run level of awkward here, aren't we? Yeah, just without the crazy ass eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, two more of my favorites. Mario Tennis uh, is, yeah, one of my favorite N64 games. And I just love Mario Tennis games in general. Uh, like, I think tennis games are just a fun multiplayer game in any setting. But Mario Tennis is just very fun and casual, lighthearted. Except uh, when I play it. Because <laughs> what can I say? I am the king of this game. The tennis gameplay in this is just really solid. It's just super fun to play. And it features the very first appearance of Waluigi. Fun fact. Yeah, it, it is a fun game. I reckon I played this twice. And it's funny, you're right. I actually, because the people, the family friends who owned this Nintendo 64, they played quite a bit. They moved house a fair bit. And mm. I can actually recall in what house they were at when I played these games. <laughs> It's like a timeline and uh, Mario Tennis, I reckon, was in their third third house. Oh, yeah. I just recall it. That's where I played GTA Grand Theft Auto Vice City for the first time. There you go. I love that. I love that memory. Actually, <laughs> Mario Tennis is, we didn't, Tom and I didn't own it. This is actually one of the games that was uh, part of the collection at my grandparents' place. 
So all of us and the cousins, when we went there when we were younger, we'd all play it together at at their house because, um, you know, we're always floating around there together. And then now later on in life, I own a copy of the game uh, and hence playing it with uh, Tom and Joel a bit more. Last but not least in my favorites is Diddy Kong Racing, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, and I'm putting it out there right now, putting it out there to anyone that wants oh. to disagree with me. This game is better than Mario Kart 64. It just is. Ooh. It just is. Here's the box for Luke to look at. No one else can see it. I have the box. Uh, <laughs> he, I can confirm he does have the yeah, box. I'll, maybe I'll post a picture of it on Instagram when we release the episode. Eh? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an awesome game. Not only does it have epic kart racing, but it also features planes and hovercrafts. Yes. Uh, and it has an adventure mode that's really fun. And it's made by Rareware. And it's got Banjo and Conker before they were even in their own games. And the music <laughs> is amazing. What is not to yes, love about yes, this and, game? Seriously, and, it's awesome. Yes. Yeah, it's mm. so good. <laughs> it was it was mm. a no-brainer pick for me to play uh, before we started recording this episode for half an hour. I just wanted to play something to get in the mood and I just saw it on the shelf. I was like, that's the one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's... It's so uh, it's so cool, isn't it? That back then, uh, it was very clear that, given that Mario Kart was sort of like the first kart game, and then we had Diddy Kong and then Crash Team Racing, mm. how these three games could exist peacefully together, and we could love them all. And now, twenty years later, no more kart games have come out, oh, except Sonic All Star Racing, of course. Uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah, as in like no more new, yeah, brand new and no- IPs or whatever. Yeah, even if it was, oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any sort of platforming game that could do it. You know, if it's Ratchet and Clank, for example, mm. maybe that could be something cool with a full-on uh, hoverboard game or hover bike, which is in Ratchet and Clank 2. It could be really cool. But yeah, there's just there's just nothing that's really taken off in the same way, even though Diddy Kong Racing and uh, Crash Team Racing were, you know, were copies themselves, but they still took off well. Well, they're copies themselves that both did a lot more than Mario Kart 64 did. Mm. And I know that now from playing the remake of Crash Team Racing, how much more there is to that game than Mario Kart 64 ever had. And Diddy Mm. Kong Racing is the same back in the day. I think, if anything, the Mario Kart 64 uh, selection of items uh, being a bit more chaotic, things like the blue shell and that probably made it a bit funner for the party sense. Uh, mm. uh, for a party setting overall than Diddy Kong. But I think if you're sitting down to play one by yourself, a Diddy Kong is a no-brainer with its adventure mode, full full story mode, unlocking all the tracks, things like that. So, no, it's a great mm. game. I'll just quickly list a few of the other iconic games. I think it's worth mentioning. Um, I won't stand up for too long. but So, we've got Super Smash Brothers, uh, the original Super Smash Brothers, start of, the start of my favorite fighting game series. And uh, to be totally honest, the only fighting series I really care about. Uh, (laughs) It is pretty outdated. So, we'll play it when you come over. It does feel super outdated, especially after playing like Super Smash Bros. Ultimate on the Switch. Uh, But it's still a lot of fun. Still tons of fun. We have WWF No Mercy, uh, which is a bona fide classic wrestling game, which a lot of people think is the best wrestling game ever still. Um. Mm -hmm. 
it features the best cast of wrestlers and arenas you could think of as a wrestling fan sort of comes coming into that uh, mid to late attitude era phase it's perfect it's actually oh. exactly where we're up to now watching uh viewing thing we're doing big daddy v prince albert uh probably we wouldn't have been I called big, Dust uh, he wouldn't be called big daddy v but he'd be in there here's viscera or um, uh, before that mabel mabel, mabel yeah, yeah. <laughs> although i played uh, a different wrestling game when i was growing up called wcw slash nwo revenge so liam and i uh, they had a, they had a copy of that game and my grandparents uh, and Liam and I, my my cousin Liam and I would play the hell out of this game uh, when, whenever we were over there and it it features this wild as hell intro where and I, and I could be misremembering this but from memory Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash are fighting in some sort of graveyard. And st- <laughs> and Sting shows up in a massive. I hope this is accurate. This is well, it's cl- it would be close to Sting shows up in this massive truck, um, and runs someone over. I think, or or <laughs> actually, now that I'm thinking of it, there's a guy that's driving down the highway in a truck, and uh, lightning strikes, and Sting appears in front of the truck, I believe, or something like that. Yeah, it's it's just this like crazy intro. It has nothing to do with the wrestling. It's completely wild. And <laughs> I remember every time Liam and I would turn it on, we'd watch it, and it, I think it always made us happy. We were quite young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Star Wars Episode One Pod Racer uh, should be worth yes. a mention because it's a it's a really fun game, really fun racing. Game. It gives off the sense of speed similar to F Zero. And I, I, that was my first game on the Game Boy Color. So, obviously, that was a top-down, a bit different. But that 64 version also translated super well to the arcade when you mm. got to handle those, yep. those uh, pod racing joysticks. That was a, that a, a great game. Yeah, it is an awesome game. Another one we can play, play together when you're here. Mm. Um, mm. There is also Star Wars Rogue Squadron, which... Uh, you probably have never played, but it would be worth giving a go one time. It's basically a, um, it's like Star Fox 64, but, uh, but obviously in the Star Wars universe, and you you're part of the Rogue Squadron, like similar um, fighting. Uh, I'm getting stuck on the Star Wars lingo, you know. You know, Jet uh, Luke is like a fighter pilot or whatever. Yeah, it's part of the Resistance kind of thing like that. Um, oh, the Rebellion. The Rebellion, that's the one. It's just, yeah, it's like Star Fox, but it's got a, of course, grittier and more realistic art style to fit the Star Wars universe. I always like the first mission. Uh, I've played the first mission so many times because you, you're you on Hoth and you tie the legs of an AT-AT um, with the jet. It's always really fun and because it, it's, mm. you know, it's quite old. So, it's it's it's, yeah. it's fun to see them develop something like that on the... First sort of 3D system. It's cool. Uh, yeah, GoldenEye is great. I did mention that, but we already talked about it. Conker's Bad Fur Day uh, is that a game I know you have some experience with or, or like the you like some of the game. You've seen some of the game. It's The Great and Mighty Pooh. Yeah, yep. The Great and Mighty Pooh. It's a classic 3D platformer, um, except this time it's totally raunchy. Uh, rated uh, probably, I'm not sure what it's rated here, probably MA, I'd say. Yeah, I reckon, yep. It's a super expensive game to find these days because it released right at the tail end of the system's life um, and they didn't make many copies of it. 
similar to Paper Mario. Uh, yeah, they came out in the final year of the system before it was discontinued. So if you go to try find any of those now online, just for the cartridge, you'd be paying up to three hundred dollars or more. Very, yeah, very well. expensive. A uh, couple more. We have Pokemon Snap, which is beloved by all. It's a, it's basically an on rails shooter, um, except you take pictures of Pokemon, <laughs> which is fun. They actually just re- made a new Pokemon Snap this year after 20-odd years, which, is, which cool. is meant to be great fun from what I heard. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's um, fun, very casual and relaxing, I, I would have thought. Yeah, apparently, yeah. We only ever rented it when we were kids, Pokemon, Pokemon Snap, a few times. I remember doing the first couple of stages over and over on different rental cartridges but never getting any further. And I remember having fun with it, I suppose. But, you know, mm. when we were kids, the main Pokemon experience was... Uh, on the Game Boy, wasn't it? Or on Stadium. Mm. Uh, Resident Evil 2 is kind of a big deal for the N64. It's um, it's it's one of the one of the only big franchises that was sort of third party that came to the 64, where a lot of them jumped to the PlayStation at the time. Um, and the 64 version of Resident Evil 2 is one of the few games released for the console that really overcame the limited storage space on the cartridge. Um, the PlayStation version had two CD-ROMs with up to 700 megabyte per disc, uh, but the game was faithfully replicated with unique enhancements on a 64 megabyte Nintendo 64 game pack. <laughs> so, they, like, they, they really worked hard and they made the game actually almost better with way, way less of the storage space. Pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And the last one I wanted to mention uh, is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater uh, 1 or 2. We, I Actually, I have a copy of 2 here, which is the one we had from when we were kids. And I thought it was worth mentioning because Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is a game series both my brother and I really like and have played forever. And uh, it all started on the N64 when we were very young with Pro Skater 2. But I think it was it was the original Xbox and Pro Skater 3 that really got us going, but we did have our roots on the 64, so worth mentioning. Mm. Yeah, 3 and 4 were definitely the definitely the uh more popular accessible Pro Skaters that went next level on the on the following generation. Yeah, a lot of people like to seem to like 4 the best, but I'm a I'm a 3 guy, you know. I was never into 4 I- more. I think I'm a three guard too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're just I'm not an underground. I'm not an underground guy. I, I like underground. Underground two is very yeah. fun. Mm. Uh, before we get into anything else, any memories, I just wanted to very quickly mention uh, Rareware, the development studio Rareware or or Rare if you want to call them that. So they are now owned by Microsoft. Uh, they were bought by them in 2002, I believe. Uh, but they were pretty much like the best development studio on the N64. And I and I wrote I wanted to write down and list all the games they released for 64 because it's quite remarkable the amount of games they released and the quality of them as well. Um, the games being Banjo Kazooie, Banjo Tooie, Blast Corps, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Diddy Kong Racing, Donkey Kong 64, GoldenEye 007. Jet Force Gemini, Killer Instinct Gold, Killer Instinct 2, Mickey's Speedway USA, and Perfect Dark. 
Mm. So you think six years of the 64's life and they released, uh, yeah, about two games on average or more a year. That that company, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a powerful six years for the console as a whole as well. Like mm. to think it was only around for six years and uh, I mean, obviously, it's just because that was the generation that we grew up with, that generation of consoles with the PlayStation 1, obviously. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, to think that we had, you know, the Xbox One for like 10 years and we had the 360 for oh, eight years, I reckon. No, the PS2 for five or six years. It just seems mm. so almost sad that the Nintendo 64 was just a six-year console, even yeah. though the GameCube that followed was even more short-lived. Yep. It is sad. How many games do you reckon released for the N64? Have you got the number there? I don't know the exact number, but I know they're around about. Uh, I have a feeling maybe maybe 50 or 60. It's really a lot more. <laughs> 50 or 60? What are you well, talking hang on. about? Well, uh, six well, years. You've covered 50 or 60 today, so I was making sure. Um, <laughs> maybe uh, 150. I thought you would go way higher because like most systems uh, <laughs> probably have into the thousands. The 64 had, a, I think it was about 320-something games total in six years, which is not a lot. No, not a lot. Not a lot but I think that's enough. I think it means that they they put more effort into the games rather than just, you know, pumping them out. Yeah, quality of course, over uh, quantity. Yes, of course, but but we do now support indies making making up for you know more games coming out more frequently. Yeah, there was no digital guess, stores back then as well. No, nah, back then they were technically all triple A's. Yep. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. So, is any other favorite any other games you want to any other games you want to mention before we go off the topic? Because we've spent forty odd minutes now talking about favorite games, iconic games. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, I do. You did just mention earlier though about the the flips. A while ago you mentioned the flips, Mm. how much we love flips. Yeah. And I do. I don't want to let this this little topic pass without acknowledging how much the flipping in uh, Super Mario 64 meant to me because in Crash I could front flip all the time. But Mario, when you get into those castle grounds, I just said castle. I'm very much a castler. So, I know, it's castle yeah, I know grounds. Are, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, to be able to backflip and sideflip willy-nilly on the spot with big jumps, that is still the most satisfying part besides going and jumping into all the paintings. Yeah. So, that's all I wanted to add. Oh, yeah. Just an extra note on Super Mario 64. No, I love it. That's why uh, I can't wait till you play Super Mario Odyssey because that game has the best movement of any character ever. What about the the side flips in Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart though? Uh, uh, they were pretty. They pretty were good. Nice side flips. But just trust me. Just trust me. Mm. Uh, we should do an episode on. Sorry, we should do an episode on the best flips. Mate, book it. Let's do it. And guess, do you want to know what's not in that? Uh, Star Wars yeah, uh, Episode Seven and Eight. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say it's <laughs> the Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, there is one. Actually, let's go into our favorite memories and moments uh, to sort of finish off the episode, uh, which I'll start because I was just going to bring up a game in that gaming list, but I don't think it deserves to go in the iconic or favorite list. 
it's more of a memory slash ongoing moment in my life where I'm sort of tormented uh, by this game. It's sort of the bane of my whole existence, uh, and that is Donkey Kong 64. I cannot beat it. I cannot bring myself to finish it. I hate it almost, and I have committed myself <laughs> to finishing it one day to all of our mates, and uh, I just I, I can't do it. I, I just can't. Well, when we were speaking earlier of it and I referred to Donkey Kong Country being that really hard one that you don't like, I was, I was, it's clearly 64 that I was meant to say because I was trying to refer to that one that you just can't beat. Oh, okay, yeah. And so, obviously, it was 64 that I played bits and pieces of and and yeah, I, I the very short-lived playthroughs because uh, fair to, it's fair to say I crack the shits too. So, so my, I can't blame you. My save on my cartridge right now uh, it's actually the furthest I've ever gone. It's about probably halfway or just over halfway. And <laughs> I haven't picked it up in about a year or more now because I just cannot bring myself to do it. But I will, I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish it one day. Uh, and whenever we, whenever I finish it, I'm going to immediately call an emergency bonus episode of the podcast to debrief. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be there with you holding that left prong of that controller for you. <laughs> yeah, that, all that would help a lot actually. A support <laughs> a support prong holder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> prong holder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, remember, I, I remember a few, few different instances from the 64 from when, we, when I was younger, but one thing I do remember was playing a game called uh, NBA Courtside. Uh, which I still got the cartridge for with my cousins and my brother. And I, I want to speak highly of it, uh, the rivalry, the legit rivalry between my brother Tom and my cousin Brianna on uh, the game NBA Courtside where Tom played as the Orlando Magic and Brianna played as the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> it was a heated rivalry for two uh, under 10-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Uh, I, I played as the Suns. I was never any good at it. I think I probably played it with Liam sometimes and or played it against Tom. Sometimes I got belted and then I just went back to the wrestling game where I felt at home or even Mario Tennis where I was the king. Speaking of Mario <laughs> Tennis, uh, it was hugely competitive with all the, the cousins back in the day, all the family and uh, I think... It, it it comes up a lot with my cousin Jack and I now, how competitive we were and how how scarred he is from the beatdowns I've given him on Mario Tennis. Uh, if he's listening right now, I hope you're okay out there and I'd love to give you another rematch whenever we can. Uh, but, yeah, I did play it recently <laughs> uh, a lot with, with our friend Joel as well and, and had a lot of fun. Any memories you've you've got of the 64 you want to talk about? Well, probably only a couple and I've probably alluded to them already and they're not actually specific moments in games but defeating Bowser repeatedly in, in uh, Super Mario 64, I love that. Like I said, join the game. I'd load into the game after playing with Mario's face mm. in the menu for a while, for too long probably. <laughs> lo lo load into the, the castle grounds and do some side flips and then sprint. Do some more flips, more flips, more flips. 
flips and more flips, side flip, do a back flip. <laughs> long jump. And then I'd run, long jump, yep. And then I'd uh, run into the castle and try to pick the right painting uh, to go and tackle Bowser because this was a finished, uh, completed game. Mm-hmm. And I'd just pretty much run in there, uh, get to get to the uh, arena where we fight Bowser and then just uh, proceed to hold that joystick and just spin it around endlessly Enjoying my enjoying seeing Bowser just swing around like a like a some sort of a lasso like a like a hammer throw, <laughs> yeah. and it was just uh, it was just satisfying. I just, I just loved it. I just always went back to do that that one bit. Uh, and otherwise, in in honestly, in Zelda, uh, it's just I was always just in awe of becoming adult adult Link and watching my mate do it. Even I just I just couldn't comprehend the the fantasy narrative at the time, and it just it just sort of like I mentioned in episode nine, it probably just tweaked my interest in fantasy and sort of a deeper story in games more than I probably realized. Mm. Just sort of tweaked something for me. Uh, so <clears throat> I think, uh, yeah, those two moments, I'll probably leave it there. Uh, definite memories. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the others I've, I've alluded to throughout the episode are, of course, um, yeah, very, very iconic. Yeah. You beauty. There is a, just a couple of other memories I want to allude to. Uh, the first being on Pokemon Stadium 2 has to do with my, my family as well. Uh, I just wanted to bring up a few of the mini games on Pokemon Stadium 2 that I loved and why uh, I loved them. So, there is an egg catching mini game where you play as a Chansey and the eggs come down from the top. <laughs> And you got to catch mm. them, and there's Voltorbs that come down and shock you if you if you catch them and things like that. And yeah. and my cousin Stacy would get a hundred out of a hundred eggs every time when we played it growing up, and all of us would be in absolute awe. We couldn't believe it. What? Yeah, I can't believe I can't believe Stacy's never told me that. Yeah, Stacy, the uh, egg catching Chansey. <laughs> <laughs> There is a uh, Pikachu, uh, sorry, Pichu uh, game on there where you have to point the direction with the analog stick and spam the hell out of the A or B button to charge these electric points on this square and it's the first to fill up the uh, electricity meter and that was a real nail-biter between Jack and I always because we were the two that, you know how there's always... You always, it's always you or you know that person that for some reason can just hold a controller on some crazy angle and just press the hell out of a button at a billion miles at light speed. Well, that was yeah, Jack one plus I. one on the calculator, first to 100. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was Jack and I with that game, and we would always compete hard. Tom was always good at uh, this game where you play as the Pokemon. Is the Pokemon called Fer- Ferret? Um. You know, the yes, sort of I'll lo- double check that. With the, <laughs> the, the ferret looking one with the C- white the cent The, c- the centret uh, evolution. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there was one of them where you'd like, you'd sort of dig up underground and try and push different types of Pokeballs into your goal against the other players. You get different scores depending on how good the ball was. And Tom, mm-hmm. brother Tom, used to always win that. I remember he would just win it every single time and I had no idea how because I would get like two regular Pokeballs in for the whole round and he'd end up with like seven Ultra Balls and three Master Balls in five seconds. <laughs> I have no idea how he did it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My favorite 
uh, one of my favorite memories came on Mario Party 2, and this is only a few years ago. Uh, a few of the guys would uh, come around to my joint. Uh, this is when I was still living in Queensland, and we'd play Mario Party 2 pretty f- frequently uh, in my last couple of years living there. We used to do it all the time. And in this particular instance, uh, my brother Tom was there and our, our friend Joel, and it got it got very fierce, uh, this game of Mario Party, very competitive. <laughs> and in Mario Party, <laughs> there's there's hidden blocks, which sometimes when you land on a space after you roll, a, a hidden uh, a hidden block can just appear. And if you hit the block, you can either get 20 coins or a star uh, just out of nowhere. Oh. It just happens in Mario Party. And, and we always used to just, every time we'd land on a space, we'd question whether a hidden block would come straight away, like saying, hidden block? But we didn't, you know, it, it happened 1% of time and every time it did, it was infuriating. But <laughs> what happened here was a bit of chance time. So, chance time is one square on the Mario Party board where a player will basically land on chance time and you have a chance to just make a crazy occurrence happen. So, you know, you, you hit three revolving blocks and it'll be like stars arrow to this player or something and you literally just cause chaos. Anyway, we're on the, we're on Pirate Land, uh, the Pirate Land map, and it was the final turn. And Joel led landed on uh, the chance time, and he ended up stealing. I think Tom had two or three stars in the lead of the game, and he absolutely nailed it to steal all of Tom's stars to win the game of Mario Party on the final turn. <laughs> and because this is completely <laughs> luck, out of nowhere. Tom pounced on Joel like a goddamn lion and he screamed, <laughs> you screwed me at the top of his lungs and I genuinely thought he was going <clears> to <throat> kill him. <laughs> it, was one of the, Good Lord. it was one of the genuinely scariest moments of our gaming lives. Oh, Joel, if, when you, if you hear this, please message us to let us know you're okay. <laughs> we, we need to know and we, we'll need to update everyone on the, the next episode because that sounds like truly scarring stuff. <laughs> and I don't think we need Tom back on this podcast ever again. It was the most stern pointing of a finger Tom has ever given out in his life. <laughs> <laughs> but the last one, my greatest memory, you did, you did allude to this before, but my greatest uh, Nintendo 64 memory is finishing uh, Super Mario 64 for the first time. Uh, it, mm. it has to be. Everything about it's mm-hmm. so good. Get, getting Finally getting up those that set of stairs towards the final boss that you can't get up unless you have the right amount of stars because they just revolve. If you don't have 70 stars, you just keep running, you know. And mm. you finally mm. get up there, you have the final battle against Bowser you know, spinning him into the things. We did. We actually talked about this battle last week in the Boss Battles episode, so check it out if you want to hear about it more. Um, but after you, after you defeat Bowser, Mario, he uses the winged cap to fly himself back to the castle uh, and Peach appears out of, out of her portrait in front of the castle and mm. comes down. She gives Mario a, a big old kiss on his schnoz and he's all, no. and he's all, he's gonna faint. He's so happy. Uh, <laughs> and the credits roll as Peach and them, uh, the Toads say they're gonna go inside a bag of cake for Mario, and he follows. And uh, throughout the credits, 
they flash flashes through every stage in the game with Mario sitting in a certain spot. And there's this just really, I think I alluded to this last week as well, but this really beautiful song plays, uh, which everyone should go look up. Just look up uh, Super Mario 64 credits theme or something. It's uh, That song has never, literally never left my brain since first hearing it. Mm. I can, yeah, I'm not going to do it, but I could probably recite the whole thing uh, at <laughs> yeah. any point. So that's my greatest N64 memory without a doubt. Oh, cool. Yeah. I love those slightly different left of left field entries into such things. Yes, but I think now time for a couple of burning questions. Time. And time for a burning fact Ooh. to start with. So, you raised the question about what was the ferret Pokemon. It's ferret. Ah, okay. ferret. And now you may remember... Uh, some people out there may recall that Charizard, despite being a big, fearsome dragon-looking thing, is actually only five foot seven. Yeah, and Ferret is five foot eleven. You kidding? <laughs> Google just told me. He said, "Is is Chari- is Ferret really bigger than Charizard?" And I looked in, and it said, "No, Ferret is actually bigger than Charizard. One of the biggest, one of the biggest Pokemon Gen two." And I went into the uh, into the Pokedex on my phone. And yep, ferrets are indeed uh, five foot eleven, one point eight meters long, <laughs> and uh, bigger than a dragon. Dude, Charizard and Blastoise are actually such tiny weaklings. <laughs> I know, so Blastoise I think is like bigger, four foot eight or something. Oh, you kidding? Yeah, Blastoise is tiny. Oh. We got to get Oak on the phone. We got to figure this out. Yeah, don't get me started on Elm. Burning question. Is it possible to love any gaming console more than your first? It's a different love, isn't it? Mm. It's like the most it's pure love. Yeah. It's it's like a there's nothing I guess now that we're older and we compare consoles a bit and we we get caught up in little bits and pieces like oh, I didn't load this fast or you know, they forgot to do this with a the controller, they should have done this, should have done that. It's just like you just it, totally accept it for what it was, what they were, even in, a, in on reflection. Mm. You just you, you never look back and say, except for you know, we talk jokingly about the controller of the sixty four. I mean, in seriously, it, it is a weird looking thing and never been <laughs> yeah. done before. It was never done before or since. But it's just like a, it's just a wholesome feeling when you reflect on those consoles mm. because uh, I think largely because we played you know, real family-friendly platformers. You know, we played Crash Bandicoot, so I played Spyro, you played your... Uh, obviously, well, we both played uh, Super Mario, you owned it. Um, Zelda, of course, uh, all those games we've discussed. Uh, and then I guess there were some more adult games out there on the PlayStation 1, but I don't know, even even just the Disney games I had as well, like uh, speaking of Emperor's New Groove, uh, Hercules and Tarzan, they're just all... I guess clunky as hell games really if you really think about it but they were just pure fun as kids uh, to play and even to go back now it's just whether it's the music or the boss battles uh, which we discussed last week a bit mm. they're just it's just it's just pure fun to think about it's just and I, I wish I do wish that everyone was a bit more forgiving on consoles these days in the same way we were back then as kids just look at it as a you know a pure fun 
yeah. device. Don't get too caught up on the technicalities. I guess maybe the difference being our parents paid for them back then, <laughs> whereas now we're paying for them. Maybe we're paying for them. Yeah. We're worried about how much value we're getting. But uh, yeah, it's just great. Yeah, I think one thing I do hear a lot about the Nintendo 64 is that people that people say that a lot of the games haven't aged well, which, yeah, that's, I'd say it's not untrue, but I just think that they're fun. Like, I just like them mm. because they're fun. Like, of course, mm. it's my first console and I have that appreciation for it because of that, so I'm sort of bi- slightly biased, but I I don't play them for the for their uh, technical prowess, you know. I, I mm. play them because they're fun and goofy and I really like them. Mm. Yeah, I think well, people are a bit think- too uh, a, a bit too precious these days of everything having to be perfect. Mm, exactly, and I you've played the remaster of uh, Spyro, the Spyro trilogy. Mm-hmm. I think oh, you played one and one and or two, but the uh, but even on the the original game, the Spyro soundtrack's really cool. It's done by I think it's composed by the drummer from the Police, so it's a real it's actually a real rocky sort of like a lot of bass in it. It's just really cool and completely different to anything else. And there's a couple of levels or uh, home worlds in there, one being the Magic Crafters, the other being uh, Dreamweavers. And the music in those areas is just so fun and light and just makes you feel great, like just so relaxed and helps you switch off. Mm. And I haven't heard anything like that since. But these games, yeah, people say they haven't aged well, but I don't know, those... Certain things, soundtracks, and uh, I know character noises or certain expressions, you know, particular boss battles, they just they just stick with you forever. Yeah, that I don't think they could possibly age. I, I just wouldn't look at them as being modern or not modern. I just look at them as being yeah, fun and uh, just pure joy. Really, yeah. No, well said. Hmm. Uh, any question for you? Uh, I've spoken, I've spoken recently about how I believe the similarities between the games and capabilities of consoles has sort of made the consoles less unique because more so with uh, you know Xbox coming to the into the fray, um, and with that and the PlayStation being so alike now. But given most games on the sixty four were console exclusives uh, when it was active, how do you feel? about more third-party games finding their way to the Nintendo Switch, such as The Witcher 3. Do you feel it's, it's sort of, I don't know, uh, watering down the Nintendo Switch's uniqueness compared to the other consoles or do you, are you just not phased by it? Uh, I think something like The Witcher 3 coming to Switch is a good example, I think, and same with Skyrim as well as on the Switch. Mm. I don't dislike the fact that they're there because... It's they, you know, getting into the Nintendo, uh, the Nintendo group of games where they're sort of not allowed to be. It's more the fact that, oh, that's pretty cool that you'd be able to play The Witcher Three on the go, and take it on a plane and play it. I, mm-hmm. I, I think of it like that with the Switch in particular. I think if I went back further with consoles, the Wii U feels like. A very tight knit, uh, unique community to the people that enjoy it because not only did it sell poorly, but the but because it was not a great seller, 
many third-party companies just dodged it completely. So it was carried by Nintendo games, uh, first-party games that uh, were were relatively unknown but actually great. So the people that were mm. there were playing these really great experiences and only talking to the people that knew of them about it. So it was like almost a you were on the inside kind of thing. Yeah. So I think with this because because the sixty four isn't uh, it wasn't as successful as some of the other Nintendo systems. I think the same slightly applies there. Where if you if you were there when the sixty four was around and you had the games, it was like you were part of that experience, and the people on the mm. outside didn't know what they were missing, kind of deal. Um, mm. But I yeah, if I don't have any problem with any game coming to a Nintendo system. Because at the end of the day, I play Nintendo systems uh, 80% or more because I want to play the Nintendo exclusive games. Yeah. 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 You can be selective. Yeah. It's not, not going to like- it down your throat. Yeah. It's not going to change. Just because The Witcher comes to the Nintendo Switch doesn't mean I'm going to drop everything and play The Witcher, you know. I'm happy mm. for the people that want to play it in handheld. Tom, My brother Tom did and he loved it. Um, but I, yeah, that's just not- not what I play this Switch on Nintendo Nintendo consoles for, but at the same time we're in a lucky position where we uh, have played PS fives as well, um, and I I got Series X recently, so I sort of have the I have the selection to play those games elsewhere anyway. But for someone that mm. only has a Switch and doesn't want to get the other consoles, having a game like The Witcher Three come in that's a huge bonus for someone that's just just wants the Switch. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Uh, like I said, I won't go over it again. Just good to good to have differences between consoles. You know, they can stick to their lane, have their exclusives, which we'd hope to see more of uh, for Xbox again. Even though I'm PlayStation Five, I'd love to see Xbox get in more and more exclusives, just to sort of separate separate themselves a bit. Yeah, but the thing with um, say like Skyrim as as an example as well, it, a, th- a big third party game like that coming to the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, it's just Skyrim on the Switch at at the f- uh, face value, but you can actually play that whole game through with motion controls on the Switch with the Joy Cons, which you can't do in any other system. And it has mm, a bunch of mm. Zelda um, uh, outfits and and a ho- and the horses and things in it as well that you can't get anywhere else. So a lot of times when third party games come to Switch, they actually bring quite a bit of uniqueness because of the the uniqueness of the console itself. So um, a lot of times they sort of they may potentially be enhanced otherwise so mm. i think it allows for st- for stuff like that as well resident evil 4 is a great example of a game that uh did exactly that because the wii version of Res- resident evil 4 uses motion controls for aiming and most people think that that is by far the best place to play that game and that came out on like mm. every system imaginable so um it can be done and can be done well mm. yeah well, speaking of doing things well, I think we've done this pretty well and we're coming to the end of the podcast. Any <laughs> final thoughts on the 64 before we head out? Yeah, just a, just a couple and I'll fly through them because it is, you know, reaching bloody feels like 4 a.m. in the morning. A.m. <laughs> in the morning. That explains the time and night. This is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, just from a, yeah, so from a, from a time when consoles were unique, uh, you know, had their own games, exclusives, and and PS One, PlayStation One, and Nintendo sixty four held their own um, 
held their own with different audiences by offering different experiences. I totally loved what the Nintendo 64 had to offer despite not owning one. Um, I believe it was more cartoony and maybe less mature than the PS1 in ways, but uh, with games like Zelda, it had a certain touch of magic the PS1 didn't offer. Um, And it was a a great step up from the Super Nintendo uh, in terms of storytelling and uh, capabilities. And despite the strangeness of the controller, uh, it's uh, as iconic as hell and and wouldn't want my friends and cousins to have owned any other console for me to go and play randomly. <laughs> and uh, just and just finally, talking about this controller, speaking of the controller, it got me thinking about how old controllers, controllers were generally always too big uh, given that there were like redundant buttons on, on them that never ended up being used. Yeah. Like with some simply duplicating the function <laughs> of more prominent buttons. So nowadays, each button has about 10 functions based on context. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, yeah, if you just uh, compare it to the PlayStation 1 where there was a few less buttons on there and some, even some of them duplicated others, I think the... Uh, the Nintendo 64 controller was definitely definitely overkill, <laughs> uh, despite its uh, iconic look. It 100%. They could have easily made a very a very uh, a very a much smaller controller than this that was way comfier and just scrap the D-pad completely and just have the joystick and the buttons, and it would have mm-hmm. worked fine. I think they might have been scared to drop the D-pad in, in case of any backlash because that's what everyone was used to up to this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then they come up with well, this monstrosity. But uh, well, well, the C buttons were effectively a D pad anyway. <laughs> yeah, they are like different, not connected. But well, yeah. the C buttons actually have arrows on them. Mm. So and for the bloody hell knows who thought of this, they were definitely smoking up something strong. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just yep. want to say too, you just said the the thought that sixty four was uh, sort of cartoony, a bit more kid friendly, or or something like that. You said. Uh, that's definitely true when you think about some of the games that spawned on the PS1 and 2, uh, like uh, Silent Hill, Metal Gear Solid, um, yeah, Final yeah. Fantasy VII, uh, mm. stuff like that. 100% true. But I think the goofiness of the 64 is the main reason that, that I really like it because I, it doesn't mm. take itself too seriously and it's just all about fun and I like that. No, it's that great. That's the thing. They're both great consoles in their own complete unique ways. Yep. Uh, the 64 is always going to have a very special place in my heart and it'll always bring a smile to my face when referenced, thought about, reminded of and, of course, played. Uh, mm. There are so many games on the system I truly love to this day and I really owe the console in many ways for it being the catalyst for my love for video games that will uh, stay with me for life. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. thank you, sixty four. I can't wait to talk about the PS one down the line with you, and you know, hmm. hear about all of your favorite games and stuff from, from yeah, you know, sort of role reversal. Yeah, it will be a role reversal, and it's yeah, like we said, it's just it's great to talk about our first consoles. You know, the PS one more passively, the sixty four. You know, very directly in this episode, obviously, because it's just uh, there's just nothing bad to say about them. They're nah. just, just fun, just fun, innocent times. Yep, definitely. Well, it's almost 4 a.m., so I think we're done here. Thanks, everyone, for <laughs> listening. Uh, like us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, 
if you feel so inclined at, at Real Rumble Pack, uh, maybe I'll yeah post a picture of some fun N64 thing I've got tomorrow. So be there, be square. Hmm. Yes, and thanks for joining us. And we're going to bed. So <laughs> yeah. good night. Damn straight. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>